It is good to see you on this Labor Day weekend. As we continue to talk about this idea and this concept of convergence. Now we're defining convergence as a coming together from different locations to achieve union or a common result, especially in the sense of uniting or merging groups that, that were very different. And the picture that we're moving towards is this idea of the body of Christ. The body of Christ represented by, by so many different pieces, by so many different churches, by so many different members, yet coming together. In a united purpose, being a part of the kingdom of God. And so, what does that look like on the, the micro level, on the level of being a church family? Recognizing that we are a diverse community of believers. And so, how does this diverse community of believers, called the First Baptist Church of Norman, how do we come together in our diversity, in our differences, for the common purpose of Christ? So then that we can diverge, if you would, so that we can leave this place and go into a world together at times, but sometimes in our own families, in our own individual workplaces, and how can we be the presence of Christ? And so we're talking about what does it mean to gather and come together as a body of Christ to make disciples and to be disciples. This morning, and what we're doing over these weeks is looking at some of these key passages out of the, the New Testament, especially those formative passages of the early church. And this morning, we look at Acts chapter 2. So if you would, turn your Bibles with, with me <clears throat> to Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 37. Again, I suspect a passage that many of you are familiar with, and one that we want to investigate and consider in this idea of convergence this morning. Now when they heard this, they heard what? Well, let's, let's look back at verse 23. When, when they heard this story, the crowd that had gathered, they were, were questioning who, who were these people. They appeared to be drunk early in the morning, creating a scene and a ruckus, and a crowd began to gather. And so Peter had begun to preach and in verse 23 specifically, Peter says, as he's talking about Jesus, he's reminding them of who Jesus the Nazarene was. And he said, Jesus, remember, is this man that, that was turned over to you or that, that, that you nailed to a cross. You put him to death through the Roman authorities. And so Peter is reminding them of this story and explaining who Jesus is. Now when they heard this, and they heard the story of the gospel that, that Jesus had been put to death, he'd been He'd been put in this tomb. He'd been resurrected to new life and ascended to the Father. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Well, brethren, what should we do? Peter said to them, Well, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Timely words for each generation. And will we have the ears to hear for our generation? 
that we need to be saved from this generation, from this perverse generation. So then, those who received His Word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of convergence. Of people coming to Christ. Of people committed to to becoming disciples of Christ. Of being devoted to one another in Christ. And seeing the awe-inspiring, wondrous work of Christ in their midst. So much so that people were being saved day by day. You see, we are called to be disciples. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called to converge into this place so that we might diverge to go and make disciples. Let me share with you a story of convergence. Have you experienced convergence like we've seen here in Acts chapter 2? My story of convergence say, starts in maybe 1993. It was during that time that Gay and I were students at uh, Baylor University. I was going through my doctoral work. And we had the opportunity to go on staff at First Baptist in Waco, Texas. And for those that would be interested, because I have a daughter that's down there now and, and uh, have served at First Baptist Waco at times, sometimes I get Waco and Norman confused. And so last week in the Life Song service, I did welcome our college students to Baylor University. Um, so, uh, OU students, I know that Baylor's not anywhere near around here. We welcome our OU students today. We're excited you're here. I bleed crimson and cream. I'm graduate in 86. So, anyway, so boomer sooner, right? But anyway. We began a ministry there with students, with youth, and with college students during that time. And it was a real incredible time in which we, as as a young married couple without children, were able to connect in ministry, but also in life with young couples. Young couples that were just finishing up their their, their master's, their their postgraduate education. Some were young professionals and beginning their, their married lives together. And it was exciting that we connected in some very deep and meaningful ways with these young couples in life and in ministry. Well, as things happen with young couples, as they begin to share their lives together, we began to have children. And one couple in particular, we were pregnant with Morgan and they, just a couple of months later, they got pregnant with twin boys. Well... A few years later, we got pregnant with twin girls, and they got pregnant with another girl. And about three years later, we got pregnant with a little boy, and they got pregnant with a little boy. And I think that every time our caller ID appeared on their phone, they got scared. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so our families began to grow and, and, and mature together. We began to share life together. 
In fact, if you, if you go back and look at, at uh, their children's scrapbooks, we didn't do as good a job of taking pictures and putting them in scrapbooks. Um, but if you go back and look at their scrapbook pictures, pages, it's our kids are with their kids all the time. And it was almost a cousin relationship, aunt and uncle relationship. And we enjoyed and shared that life together. Our lives converged through the ministry and through life together. Well, we moved to Pottsboro, Texas to pastor there. And within, after about six months, Gay and I were in Dallas, Texas for a, uh, a new pastor's conference. And we had had the, the conference ended on a Saturday evening, and we decided we would stay in, in Dallas and enjoy a, the weekend together. Went to a movie that night. Got out of the movie about 9 o'clock or so, 9.30, and our cell phones had blown up. We had lots of messages, and as we began to listen to those messages, we learned that Jennifer, one of our twins, had had an accident. In fact, it was an accident that was so severe that they had rushed her to the hospital there in the, in the Sherman-Denison area. The doctors there had decided that, you know what, we don't want to mess with this. We don't want to deal with this. And so they called in a helicopter and they life-flighted her to Dallas, where we happened to be. And so we made our way to Children's Hospital there in the Parkland Hospital area and began to wait on a daughter that we did not know the severe injuries, but we understood that they were severe enough that they needed the lifelighter to Dallas to find specialized care. And so we waited there with great emotion, with great anticipation, the unknown of what was going on with our daughter. Well, we began to call friends and family and began to ask them to pray. And there were folks from our church there where we had been serving in Pottsboro that, that came down and met us at the hospital. But Gay called this other family and a couple of other friends in the Waco area. And before she could even hang up the phone, they had said, we're coming to, to visit with you. And this is by about uh, 11, 11 o'clock at night by this time. And Sharon and Terry began to make their way. You see, we'd shared life together. And when this tragedy happened, we had to be together. And so it was incredible as the body of Christ from Pottsboro, Texas, and from family here in the Oklahoma area, and from Waco, Texas, began to converge upon us in a hospital in Texas to encourage, to walk with, to pray with us, just to be there. And as I looked at my wife's face and her concern, it wasn't until those dear, lifelong friends walked into the hospital that she began to have a sense of peace and comfort. That regardless of what happens, we're going to be okay. Of course, Jennifer was okay, and, and the wound was, was significant. It was a very deep puncture wound around the spinal cord area, and she was fine, and they sent us home fairly quickly. We kept, we've kept in touch with Sharon and her family over these last, last years. Our families have embraced each other along the way. Last year, as we took Morgan to, to be in the Baylor band and had that parent orientation, the Bennett, Sharon and her boy, her husband were there as we entered as band parents for the first time at a university. We got a call a couple of weeks ago. Sharon wasn't feeling well. And this is less than two weeks ago, actually. They did a a CT scan, and they determined that she'd had a, had a brain tumor. 46 years of age, two sophomores in college, a girl that started her senior year last week, and a seventh grade boy. The tumor was advanced when they discovered it, and so they had scheduled to do a biopsy last Tuesday. They did a biopsy. They were going to send it off to MB Anderson. She was in her hospital room that night recovering from the biopsy. 
when things began to turn south, her fever spiked, and apparently this tumor, just they called it an angry tumor, just began to erupt within side of her brain. By 6 a.m., she was on life support. They called her children in. A student, one was at A&M, one was at Baylor, children in the home, and they gathered around. A father came in from, from Granbury, Texas. They removed life support, and she was gone within 20 minutes. You began to see already in her life over those two weeks, you began to see a, people begin to converge upon her and her family to love and to support and to walk with them in a critical time. And yesterday we were at, in Waco, Texas for a funeral service. A memorial service in which hundreds of people gathered, probably three or four hundred people on a Saturday morning to celebrate her life, to mourn and to grieve her death. But as I was, as I was preparing and as I was sharing with that crowd, that crowd, I could not help but think of people who had converged from all over Texas, from different parts of the country, even from Norman, Oklahoma, who had converged in that space to love and to care for and to walk with their family, to grieve and to cry and to laugh. And you see, that's what I'm talking about converging as a body of Christ, as a community of believers. And you see, through Christ and in Christ Jesus, we are called to converge together. We are called to be devoted to one another. And you see, this kind of convergence just doesn't happen. This kind of convergence where we, we mourn and where we grieve so intimately and deeply doesn't just happen because we want it to. It happens because we invest. Because we take purposeful action and behavior to commit ourselves to spiritual community, to Christian community, to relationships with one another. You see, convergence like this requires devotion. Devotion to God. And devotion to His church as it's lived out and as it's shared in relationship with one another. So this morning, I want us to expand and to talk about this idea of what does it mean to be a body of Christ and to experience convergence? And how does this idea of devotion lead us into greater convergence with Christ and with one another? So what shall we do? How shall we respond? How shall we commit ourselves to lives of converging as believers in Christ? Well, the first thing I think we want to do is we want to be devoted first and foremost to Jesus Christ. As we look at Acts verse two, chapter 2, verse 38, the Scripture says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now remember, this is a story in which, which Peter is preaching and he's told the Gospel. He shared about the life of Christ and he shared to these folks, and you are responsible. You, this group of people are responsible for putting Christ to death, for bringing Him before the Roman authorities. And they responded, what shall we do? How shall we respond now, Peter? How shall we receive this gift of salvation? And Peter's response is, we must repent. We must turn away from our disbelief. We must turn away from the fact that we missed the mark with Jesus. We missed out on who He was and who He is. We were wrong. We've got to repent from that. And we've got to proclaim Him and understand Him and receive Him as the Messiah, as Lord and as Savior of our lives. We must turn to Him and receive forgiveness of sin. And of course, the emotion and, and the, 
the boldness of that moment is that only God can forgive, right? That's why Jesus got into so much trouble. Because He was willing to forgive sins. And so Peter, continuing with the message, says, Repent and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Confess that you were wrong about Jesus. And turn to Him now and receive forgiveness. You see, repentance and forgiveness go hand in hand. We turn from the wrong ways of life, our sinful ways. We, we turn from the, the reality and the truth that we have missed the mark. Repentance is also related to trust. What Peter is saying, trust Jesus. Turn from your understanding and way of religion. Turn, turn from, from the things that you've been taught. Turn from the authorities that you've followed in the past and turn to Christ. Put your faith in Him. Give your loyalties to Jesus. Give your lives to Him. You see, devotion to Christ begins with the recognition and the reality of the, the repentance that, that we were wrong. We are not God and we are not gods of our own lives. That we must repent and turn to the One who is God, who is Lord of all, Savior of all. We must repent. And then notice how Paul, Peter follows up on this idea. Then we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now certainly they would understand this in their Jewish context. The Jewish context of baptism was that it was a, a ritual for cleansing. And then John the Baptist came along and he said, well, I baptize in water. But there's one who comes. There's one that will be here. And of course he was referring to Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John offered a baptism for the repentance of sins to acknowledge and recognize that, that we are sinful and we need to turn from that. But even John testified that only Jesus, and that through the baptism of Jesus, could we experience forgiveness and cleansing, deep spiritual cleansing from our sin. John the Baptist said he baptized in water. He said Jesus comes and he baptizes into the Spirit of God. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3.27. He says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. So as we talk about this first step, this first idea of converging through devotion, we must first and foremost be devoted to Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, repenting from our sin, allowing Him to forgive us our sin. And then as Paul has written in Galatians, that we would clothe ourselves. We would put Christ, excuse me, we would put Christ onto ourselves. To be baptized into His name means that we embrace who He is. We embrace His teachings. We turn from the ways of the world and we begin to walk to following and obeying Him. We fall in love with this God who loved us so much that He gave His life for us. You see, we converge. We converge together through our love and devotion of Jesus Christ. But as we continue to read Acts chapter 2, it's very clear that we continue to converge through our devotion to one another. Acts 2.42 They, those that had been converted, those who had, had given their lives to Christ, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread 
and to prayer. They were devoted. They were committed to each other. They were investing in each other. They were building their lives around sharing with each other in every imaginable way. And oh, that we would see that that as followers of Christ, those who are devoted to Christ, we are also called to converge with one another from our various experiences and backgrounds to converge and be one in and through Christ Jesus. And one of the ways we practice this and and, and we demonstrate this is by devoting ourselves to one another through teaching. Now certainly here, the teaching of the apostles, those who had, had spent the last years of their lives with Jesus, who heard His teaching firsthand, they were to commit themselves to, to sitting around the feet of these men. And today, as the Scripture has been handed down, as today we have that new covenant, that, that new testament that we can study and read and understand. We must continue to devote ourselves to this teaching And as we talked about last week in the Great Commission, it's not just about teaching. Sometimes I think our churches, one of the problems we have in our churches is that we teach too much. Now follow me. Don't throw stones yet. We teach too much. And we don't obey enough. We don't apply enough. We, we go and we, we let someone teach us in a way that affirms everything we already know, but we don't really dive and jump into what does this mean today? How do we live this out today? How do we obey this teaching in 2014 in Norman, Oklahoma? What does it look like? And I think that's what we're missing. We're missing that devotion because you see when we start talking about how do I live this out, then I have to be devoted to you, don't I? I have to be committed to you and and I have to feel trust that you're committed to me so we can share and we can disagree and we can walk through the difficult issues that we face today. You see, these early apostles and disciples were devoted to each other, to teaching the Scriptures and to obeying them. We must be committed to obeying the Scriptures. Yes, we need to study them. Yes, we need to understand them at deeper and deeper levels. But church, if the only place we open the Word of God is in a classroom or in a worship service, we've missed out on its purpose. Its purpose is food to strengthen and nourish us and to allow us to move into this world and live the Scriptures out in meaningful ways. We're devoted to each other in teaching, but also into fellowship, into community, into communion with each other, sharing our life together, sharing our life together in the good and in the bad, sharing our life together when it's full of joy and when it's full of sorrow. And As I shared this story earlier, I shared with Alan, Sharon's husband, I said, you know, when, when your wife came up to the hospital, we'd been disconnected from you all for over six months and And yet, the initial, the immediate reaction is, we need to share this experience with you. We are part of your community. And as we heard word of of her passing this last week, there was no doubt that we needed to go. That we needed to converge around this family. Because why? Because we shared fellowship with them. 
We need to be a people devoted to each other. Sharing and fellowship with each other. Breaking of bread together with each other. This is the idea certainly of the Lord's Supper. Sharing in, in worship and in the Lord's Supper together. But I think it's, again, it's, it's beyond just the idea of breaking bread. Sharing the Lord's Supper. It, it certainly it includes, it's part of fellowship of breaking bread together in your homes with each other. Inviting people into your homes to share meals together. But the idea of breaking bread is the idea of worship as well. Because as, the, as we read the Scripture of the New Testament, whenever they broke bread together, they remembered Christ. They remembered His sacrifice. We know that they proclaimed His, his death and His resurrection until He returned. They had church as they broke bread together. And of course, in Matthew, as the, the telling of this story says they sang hymns when they finished sharing in the Lord's Supper. So being devoted together is, is, to one another is teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread together through worship at the Lord's Supper and sharing fellowship in our homes and certainly through prayer. Seeking the will of God with each other. Praying with each other. Investing our lives in each other. Interceding for one another through prayer and fellowship together. You see, this is the life that God has called us to. To converge together as believers, as followers of Christ, into the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and praying with each other. And as we commit ourselves to converging through our loyalty, our devotion to Christ, our loyalty, our devotion to one another as the body of Christ, then we'll begin to see some incredible things in our midst. The evidence of conversion excuse me, of convergence. What do we begin to see as convergence begins to take place within the local fellowship? Well, first of all, as we commit ourselves to Christ, as we see that loyalty, that devotion to Christ grow and mature, the promise of Acts 2.42 is that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was John the Baptist's point, is that, that you'll be baptized into the Spirit of God. You'll receive Christ Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit present in us individually, but also as a community of believers, we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because the presence of the Spirit is so evident within us. But also, what's the evidence of convergence as we share and as we grow in our devotion to each other? What does it look like within the church and the people of God? We look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 43 through 47. Look at some of these, these key descriptors, these, these modifiers that, that appear as the church expresses its devotion to Christ and to each other. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Where's your awe when you gather with the body of Christ in this place? There were many signs and wonders that were occurring. All those who believed began to share. Their things in common, their lives in common, whether it be time or possessions or resources, whatever that would look like. There was a gladness and a sincerity of heart as they gathered together. And finally, the Lord was adding to their fellowship, was bringing those in who desperately needed salvation, and they were being saved day by day. You see, when, when the presence of God is, is here, when we converge with one another through the power of God in our lives, these things begin to happen. There's a sense of awe. There's a, a heartfelt joy. 
There's salvation that begins to be experienced as the lost come into our paths as they hear the story of Christ. So the question for us today is the same question that Peter asked as we began our Scripture reading. What shall we do? How shall we converge? How shall we be devoted to one another? Well, first of all, we must begin. We must converge as a, as a body of Christ. We must converge in our devotion, our loyalty, our love, our affection for our Lord Jesus and worship Him with all that we are. And secondly, we must practice and we must commit to our devotion to one another. Let me share a couple of of ways in which I think this is happening. And this is happening in small ways in a lot of different places in our church. There's a lot of places within our church that that this needs to begin to happen and and continue to happen and see new chapters and new ways in which this, this devotion, this convergence can be seen. Last week, I believe, Jim, we have 120 plus in the dinner eight uh, dinner eight meal. It's a, an opportunity for 120 adults, not counting their children, but it, it shows that there's a huge response, which we gather together for a fellowship event to share, share meals with a commitment to gather over the next few months to enjoy fellowship and dinner with each other, to talk with each other, to, to pray with each other, encourage each other in life. And oh, how exciting it was to see such a large number of folks from our church come together and say, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of this kind of community in which we learn to devote ourselves to one another. Last week we had what we call our bowling bash. Our children and youth sponsored it. It was fantastic to see families come together with youth and children, even those without children, come together just to enjoy an afternoon of community and fellowship with one another. Also, three testimonies that I've, I've heard from Two from members and one from a non-member. We had a, a non-member visit, a, a family visit a couple of weeks ago that was from out of town bringing an OU student. And I talked to them after church and they said, oh, your church has been so gracious. The worship was so rich and deep. The community, the hospitality was so, so inviting and warm. We've been blessed so much to be here today. As we converge in worship and community, others notice as they experience that. One family that some of you may be aware of, one of our young adult families, the, the husband has experienced a tragic kind of a freak accident and is in long-term recovery from that accident. And as I was visiting with him last week and visiting with the wife, she said, you just can't imagine how gracious and how, how much this church has reached out. She said, man, we don't have to worry about our yard. Our yard's been mowed. It, it, everything it looks better than when we were able to do it because the church has come alongside to meet needs And to gather around to pray and to encourage, to help with children. You see, this is what convergence is. It's coming together and sharing the sorrows and the joys of life. Another one of our members posted on, I guess, Facebook, one of her social media outlets, that I love my church. I love being in community and fellowship with the church that I have. Signs of convergence. But church, we must continue to commit ourselves to devote ourselves to growing in our love and our devotion to Christ Jesus and growing in our loyalty and our, in our, in our commitment to one another as the body of Christ so that we can leave this place, we can diverge from this place 
and be the presence of Christ in the world in which we live. Let's pray.